Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. I'm Billy Embody, covering SMU for OnThePonyExpress.com, here with you, a part of the Republic of Football podcast network. Thanks to Dave Campbells for bringing us together for another edition, as we are now just over a week away from when the Mustangs will kick off September 2nd at 11 a.m., against Louisiana Tech here in Dallas inside Ford Stadium. But away from the hilltop, things continue to trend in an interesting direction with the ACC considering expansion. So to lead off the podcast, we're going to jump into some of that discussion and kind of where things stand before taking a look at the Mustangs and kind of run you down really where the roster stands heading into the 2023 season, and I'll finish it off with kind of my final thoughts as camp is now over with for the Mustangs. The ACC has been considering expansion now for a few weeks, the better part of a month, and now things are ramping up for expansion to happen, centering around Cal, SMU, and Stanford The two Pac-12 schools are really on life support with their own league, whereas SMU is looking to elevate the program to the Power Five ranks. And when it comes to SMU, they're willing to go all out. And what does that mean? That means foregoing seven years of broadcast revenue, and that would mean SMU donors would basically float the athletic department as the ACC Uh, would get that revenue that SMU would forego and divvy it up among their members. So with the AAC, the AAC, SMU currently gets around $7 million in broadcast revenue. That money each year would be covered by the boosters who are willing to write these checks, not only to leave the league early, which would involve an exit fee, um, well above $10 million at least, That would be negotiated in order for SMU to leave in time for the 2024 football season. On top of that, that $7 million a year that SMU boosters would need to cover would amount to roughly $50 million over that seven years. And then SMU would begin working its way up in terms of revenue share from the ACC. So how does this get across the finish line for this to happen for SMU, Cal, and Stanford? Well, it all comes down to money once again, and the ACC has been meeting behind closed doors to try and figure out how they can make this work. And a new revenue sharing model is what's being discussed with these funds that could come in to the league from these three teams. And really, it would amount to a few million dollars a year for each school, which when you're talking about the Power Five level, is not a huge drop in the bucket by any means, but it is substantial enough to have the conversations being ongoing. And so that's important there because you've got these schools, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and NC State that are currently standing in the way of expansion right now. But the way to get their votes flipped is to come up with an unequal revenue sharing model with this money that would be coming into the league. and. If they can agree on that, which I'm sure it is a really in-depth, complicated process to try and figure out between those league members, well, what is good enough 
to agree to as far as an unequal revenue sharing model, while other schools who might not be able to not necessarily count on, but count on, uh, but count on that money year in, year out because it'll be performance based. Where do those schools eventually say that's too much? Or when do they say, okay, that's right? And the same goes on the flip side for Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and NC State. When does that negotiation hit a point where it's good enough to say, okay, now we're going to expand and we're going to allow Cal, SMU, and Stanford into the league? And for SMU, they're sitting in a good spot because they would bring the most amount of money into the league to be divided up. Cal and Stanford are going to take reduced shares. According to multiple reports, that would be around 30% of their share of $24 million worth of tier one revenue a year. Eventually, you build up, you add years, uh, tiers two and three to your revenue share at some point. But for SMU, them foregoing that entire amount is paramount to them getting in to the ACC. So when could this happen? Well, we've heard everything from the athletic directors and presidents are meeting over the next couple of days, which could yield a decision. We've also heard it could be drawn out into next week. But I do believe this. The ACC is very different than the Pac-12, which we saw that play out over the course of a year. But where the ACC is different is they obviously have a media rights deal. They have a grant of rights. That runs until 2036, which is really why we've seen some of the issues arise with some of these power brokers in the ACC. They're seeing leagues like the Big Ten and the SEC bring in roughly double the amount that the ACC is getting. They're trying to bridge that gap in whatever way possible. And look, this might be a Band-Aid on a situation that is going to be once again played out as the grant of rights and media rights deal comes to a close in the next decade. But it would allow the league to gain stability and security in numbers, which is where the Pac-12 really messed up, obviously. They have a situation which has now been completely exploited by the Big Ten, by the Big 12, grabbing all of those members, member institutions, and taking them to their leagues. And the Pac-12 is left with four schools right now. If the ACC can add SMU, Cal, and Stanford, that would put them in position that even if down the line, Florida State and Clemson, notably, decided we're going to try our hand at the Big Ten or the SEC or another league, that would secure the conference's uh, longevity with the numbers that they need as college football and college athletics trends to more of a super conference model. What would an a ACC invitation mean for SMU? Well, it would be maybe not the end, but it would be the end of a long journey toward returning to relevance and prominence. And over the last few seasons, we've seen SMU get into the top 25. They've had Sonny Dykes hired away. They've invested in NIL as soon as that happened and kept their roster intact. They made a bowl game last season, the first time that's happened, under a first-year head coach since the 1980s, back in the Pony Express days. Rhett Lashley has this program trending in the right direction. But the administration is also invested with the help of the donors 
to have those facilities in place, like the Armstrong Fieldhouse, a $60 million uh, facility that is top top notch. Uh, if you're on SMU's campus, it's uh, a beautiful brick building uh, that is not like you see on some other campuses that is a, you know, kind of a rector set or a steel building, however you want to put it. It is a uh, statement piece for this football program, but they're not done. They're building 110 plus million up to $130 million end zone facility right now that would give the football team a brand new operation center, new locker room, weight room, nutrition center, training tables, all of those things, as well as club seating and premium seating for SMU. That's the Gary Weber end zone complex that's under construction right now in SMU's south end zone of Ford Stadium. It encloses the bowl. Trust me, being out at that stadium, you know, pretty much weekly uh, for practice, it has really given that stadium a completely different feel because now the structure is not done by any means, but it really is this mega structure that is now up in the south end zone. Now they've got to do wiring. They've got to do AC and duct work. They have walls to put up along the interior, but it is in a situation where you see this, again, a statement piece for this football program and university that has really given a new look to Ford Stadium, one that would fit in to a Power Five conference like the ACC. So you have the facilities lined up. SMU has been incredible in terms of especially being a group of five program at the NIL, NIL game that is going on across college football and college athletics right now. What an ACC invitation would mean is not only access to the college football playoff as a potential auto qualifier, if they were to be able to bring home a conference championship, but it also elevates them into that Power Five uh, realm. It, it gives the program credibility at the highest level. You know, it's not the Big Ten, it's not the SEC, but the ACC is a well-respected conference with solid universities involved, especially in basketball, too. And it would give SMU another foothold in the recruiting side of things, especially from the high school ranks. We know what SMU has done with the transfer portal and NIL over the last couple couple years, especially. They brought in 25 transfers once again, most of them power five guys, former four-star guys that are now on SMU's roster for the season. But it helps you knowing that you're going to be in a power five conference. And while this is not a done deal by any means, we've seen conference realignment take many different turns. It's in a position now where most everyone I talk to, we're just playing the waiting game right now, waiting to get that final decision. But if you've been following some of the reports, especially over the last 24 hours, there's buzz that this one could get pushed through. And I think the ACC recognizes that they can't let what happened to, to the Pac-12 happen to them which is, I think is where cooler heads are ultimately going to prevail in terms of stabilizing the league long-term with these additions. So we're going to keep tracking that. But for SMU, you talk about the college football playoff uh, access that it would give. Talk about the recruiting uh, credibility it would give to high school prospects to say, hey, you'd be playing in a Power 5 conference. But more importantly for SMU as well, it would bring back that those that portion of the fan base that is still very casual, whether they were in school when the death penalty happened and they didn't really have football for a couple of years, or it was 
a program that was among the worst in college football uh, during that time as they built back. You bring back those casual SMU alums, SMU fans, but most importantly, you're going to see renewed interest in supporting athletics at SMU. And it's hard to say that as you're sitting here saying, well, didn't you just say there's been roughly $200 million in facility upgrades and NIL is in a good place and, and the boosters are going to float this athletic department uh, budget when it comes to missing out on that AAC TV revenue that they had and would be foregoing when they go to the ACC? Yes. But talking with people around the program, NIL donations would go up, but also you'd have donors that, again, were somewhat casual, but maybe had some income that they have been donating to SMU. Their hope is that a lot of those people would say, oh, I'm ready to be all in. I see that SMU can now compete truly at the highest level of college athletics. And that would be the hope is that those people would then show that support at an even higher level in terms of donations. Plus you toss in ticket revenue going up, potential advertising dollars from, from stadium sponsors and things like that going up, merchandise, all those things, they're all going to help SMU obviously fill that void of lost revenue from the TV uh, deal. But again, kind of legitimize the program and school overall. So it's a waiting game. We are watching it very closely on our end because this is one of those moments when it comes to SME athletics that you can't possibly look at and say, if this happens, uh, this is the biggest moment in SMU history since the death penalty. That's how big this is uh, and what a Power 5 conference invitation would mean. So just want to kind of run some of you guys down on the latest on college football realignment, especially with the ACC considering expansion. SMU's right in the mix. We'll see if it pays off. Before we go any further, I got to tell you guys about our friends at Big Game USA. Get the official game ball of SMU football from Big Game USA. They're right here in Addison. And you can use promo code BE on three, that's the number three, for 10% off your entire order, plus get free shipping. So you want the official game ball? To be at your boulevard tent, tossing it around before the game, get your order in today. You can also pick from any of the footballs on the website. They're the largest uh, provider of official game balls across college football. And so if you've got friends or family that, hey, they would love an official game ball from their school, check out the selection. You can use the promo code on any of those balls um, with your order as well. So check them out, biggameusa.com, promo code BE on three for 10% off your order plus free shipping. SMU wrapped up fall camp on Saturday with the final scrimmage before classes started on Monday. The team had that day off. They were back on the practice field Tuesday and Wednesday, and they're going through the rest of practice this week to start preparations for Louisiana Tech. And as we sit here, a couple of notes, uh, SMU did announce the number 23 jersey recipient being Isaiah Wachovia, a Dallas native uh, who is picked to wear that number 23 jersey, honoring Jerry Levias, the first black scholarship football player in the Southwest Conference. And Isaiah Wachovia, the former Skyline star, has really had an interesting road. He was a highly touted prospect. He turned down USC. He had offers from Texas and other programs. He wanted to stay home. Well, he gets to campus and starts off hot. 
Um, he had two interceptions as a true freshman. He had a forced fumble and a pass breakup. He played in nine games with three starts in 2021 as a true freshman. Then the coaching change happened. He ends up sticking with this team, staying at SMU. And in 2022, things didn't go as he planned. He made two starts in four games in 2022, had 10 tackles, a forced fumble, but then missed the game, the, rem the remainder of the season with a nagging injury. And there was some talk uh, and, and, you know, some real buzz that he was going to transfer. And he saw his opportunity to start really go to a guy like Nick Roberts, who came in as a transfer. And I think that was a real moment for him where he thought about leaving. But he had, you know, we talked to him on Wednesday. He said, I want to be on this team. I want to represent Dallas. I want to be here with this, this team of players that I've grown so close with. And he buckled down this offseason to recover from his nagging injury that, that really kept him out the rest of 2022. And by the end of spring, he was back as a full participant. He started off in a red jersey, non-contact, kind of working his way back. But by the end of the spring, he was making some plays. And then he got into the summer and really worked on his body even more. And just seeing him in fall camp, one, you've got to be really happy for him. He, he's a Dallas kid who stayed home. And you can tell the maturity that he now has and, and maybe even the perspective that he has has really changed a lot over the last three years from when he got to SMU to now. And he's challenging for snaps in a deep safety room for SMU. But the big thing he's been okay with is being one of the best special teams players for SMU. That's going to be his primary role. He'll come off the bench. He'll get some snaps at safety and all those things. And he cut up and trimmed down to do that. But he knows his role and he just wants to see this team win. You can tell it meant a lot to him to get this honor, uh, to to wear the number 23 jersey of Jerry Levias. And I, I just think looking at the choice, it was probably a little bit of a surprise. You know, you have players that are starters or maybe guys that are even older that a lot of people would have said, okay, well, that senior is going to get it or so-and-so could get it. But Isaiah Wachobia, I was talking to a couple coaches. I mean, he is one of, if not the hardest worker on this team. He put in the work to get in this position, and he was rewarded for it. So kudos to Isaiah, a Dallas kid who stayed home, now wearing what is really the biggest honor for an SMU football player is to wear uh, the number 23 jersey. SMU did also announce their captains for the 2023 season, and the Mustangs are turning to seven of them uh, to be the captains for this football team. And you run down the list, and it's a lot of guys that you're not really surprised at all to see them in there. Elijah Chapman, defensive lineman, who's going to play a little H-back as well for SMU. Justin Osborne, the starting right guard, who's been SMU's best offensive lineman the last couple of years. Uh, quarterback Preston Stone, who's going to make his first career. Well, he's going to be the starter for the first time in his career. He started one game last year. But he's one of those unquestioned leaders on this team. Tyler Levine, the bruising running back uh, who played through a partially torn patella tendon last year. He's a captain. And then rounding things out on the offensive side of the ball, Jake Bailey, the wide receiver who only played in four games last year, having missed the rest of that season with injury. But we know he's one of the most explosive players on SMU's roster. And he has a chance to really show why he can be one of the best he showed it last year against TCU before 
ultimately getting injured and missing the rest of the season. But now he's healthy. Now he's back um, and is a captain for SMU. And then the Mustangs have two safeties as captains uh, as well on the defensive side. Brandon Crosley, former Little Elm standout, and Jonathan McGill, a former Stanford captain who transferred back to the program, or I should say to the program this offseason. He was a one-time SMU commit back when he was a recruit coming out of Coppell, Texas. But now he's going to be a captain for the second time in his career, and he's doing it for his hometown team. So um, shout out to those guys earning uh, the captaincy. And Rhett Lashley, uh, talking with him on Wednesday, said there could have been a lot of guys that we could have picked and the team could have picked for the captain spots uh, that they have. But that group of seven is uh, pretty impressive and, and guys that are certainly deserving of it. Now, when it comes to SMU football, camp is in the books. And I wanted to run down kind of some of the biggest things that I learned. I I point to a couple pieces here. I point to the wide receiver room being very, very deep and talented. You've got Jordan Curley, Jake Bailey, and Roderick Daniels as kind of your three guys that you really know what you're going to get when they're healthy, especially Jordan Curley and Jake Bailey. And you know what their role could be. Roderick Daniels, versatile weapon, play him in the backfield a little bit, run some sweeps with him and things like that. You also have Jake Bailey, who's an explosive slot player. Jordan Curley's your outside threat with plenty of speed. But the competition at the outside receiver spot opposite of Jordan Curley, and as well as battling for snaps behind him, is something that is going to be really interesting to see how that heats up over the course of the season, because it is a position battle that I see it going into the fall. You have a returning player in Moochie Dixon, who's really been probably one of SMU's most consistent players overall in fall camp. But you also have two Miami transfers in Romello Brinson, who's kind of a high-flying acrobatic receiver with a big frame, and Keyshawn Smith, a burner who's athletic, who really has honed in on the finer details in fall camp. And you also have former five-star and TCU transfer Jordan Hudson in the mix as well. And he was nicked up a little bit in camp, but has been one of those guys that when he's out there, he's able to make plays, and you can see why he was so highly touted coming out of high school. And I look at that spot, and as you try to make sense of well, what, what is SMU going to look like offensively? I think the depth at running back is going to force Rhett Lashley to commit even more to the run game. They've upgraded the offensive line in terms of depth. They have Elijah Chapman, who I noted is going to play some H-back as well, and they're excited about what his physical presence could bring to the run game. But you're still a team that lost Rasheed Rice off last year's roster. Obviously, he's with the Kansas City Chiefs now, having a great camp. So who's going to step up? Can Jordan Curley do it? Can Jake Bailey do it? But you have this plethora of options for Preston Stone to build that chemistry with and for someone to emerge. And it's been a few years since SMU has been in this position where you're going to have probably six, seven guys you feel good about rolling out there starting game one and seeing who rises to the top. But one of the most important things for SMU is that somebody rises to the top of that totem pole and grabs that receiver spot. 
opposite of Jordan Curley. Because if Jordan Curley stays healthy, there's a real chance that he goes for a thousand yards this year. He has that explosive playmaking ability. When he's healthy, he's been one of the top performers for this team. It's just been a matter of him being nicked up here and there over the last few years. This was his first full offseason as a college player. He's either been recovering from an injury or held out, um, nicked up in fall camps, what have you. And so he's added weight, which SMU hopes he's going to be able to be a little bit more durable this fall because of that. But he's also laser focused on the ultimate goal, which for him going into his last year of college football, he can make a statement and get to the NFL. He really can. He has those tools in his toolbox to make that happen. So for SMU's offense, I look at the wide receiver spot as the biggest thing that needs to come together because you do have talent, you have options, but with a new starting quarterback in Preston Stone and look, game one opponent in Louisiana Tech who has turned over its roster, you know, they have some talent, especially at quarterback and wide receiver. SMU is going to have to be clean and productive on offense. And in my opinion, complementing the run game with a potent passing game is one of the biggest pieces that can happen for SMU in week one, building that confidence between Preston Stone and that wide receiver room is going to be important because week two, you head to Norman for that game against the Sooners and playtime's over. You're going to have to be ready to go. And for SMU, uh, they need to be on point uh, at the skill position piece of the puzzle for this offense. I think there are enough returning pieces up front on the offensive line. There are, is also some more talent that, that they've added. They should feel good, especially in week one, about, about where that offensive line stands. So if that's the case, it's on Preston Stone to find his receivers, make plays, play turnover free, do all those things to get this team off to a start that builds their confidence going into that week two game. Defensively, SMU's biggest question is, has this defense, which has assembled so much talent from the transfer portal, they have some returning players who have improved, can all of that come together and everyone communicate, be on the same page, make plays when you're given the opportunity to? Can all of that happen? And on paper, SMU has completely revamped its defensive line to where you've got to feel good about the two deep and even three deep at some positions that they could do that. But it's got to be shown. You know, last year, I feel like this group had some pieces that were nice, but they didn't live up to their expectations. And granted, tackling overall as a defense, that was an issue. That's why they worked on it a great deal in fall camp. They've really pushed that angle of it. But when it comes to getting that push and controlling the line of scrimmage, the defensive line is in a completely different place than it was uh, last season. They have Elijah Chapman and Devere Levelston and edge rusher Nelson Paul back. But they've also added guys like Jordan Miller at nose tackle and Elijah Roberts from Miami who's going to play strong side defensive end. And you add those pieces, and they've already changed the physical makeup of that unit. But oh, by the way, 
They brought in Cam Robertson this summer from North Texas, who was an all-conference USA freshman team selection. And they brought in Corey Roberson from Oklahoma, who didn't play last year, but he's been under Calvin Thibodeau, the defensive line coach's tutelage, before back when Calvin Thibodeau was a defensive line coach for the Sooners. That's when Corey Roberson actually played a good deal. Now he's in a new environment. He's fitting right into this defense, though, as really a second-team defensive lineman. And when you look at what SMU has up front with Devere Levelston going about 290, Jordan Miller probably about 320 or so at nose tackle, and Elijah Roberts is about 275, 280 at that strong side defensive end, couple that with a veteran edge rusher in Nelson Paul, that's a good start right there. But where they've addressed this position where you can now say it's got depth across all four spots, that's been the biggest piece. So you could roll, guys. It's going to be hot September 2nd. It's going to be hot September 9th. It's going to be hot this whole month. Let's be real. And to have that depth to really trust those guys is going to be critical because I think one thing SMU did last year that allowed them to finish five and two down the stretch is they were able to get to a point where they trusted enough guys to rotate a little bit, but they did it without the depth and talent overall that they had last year or that they have this year. And the defensive line is one of the best examples of that. The cornerback room is another great example of that. You have Charles Woods and Chris Meganson, two guys with their final year of college football ahead of them, starting at corner. A.J. Davis, Kavaris Hall, um, those guys behind them, Jahari Rogers at corner. Those are the guys that SMU is going to turn to to rotate a little bit and to keep up with some of these fast receivers that Louisiana Tech has, that Oklahoma has, that TCU has. Those are some of the pieces that have to come together and show it. Charles Woods has been nicked up in fall camp. Chris Meganson ha has had a great fall camp. But if the defensive line is doing their job and kind of putting that pressure on the quarterback to help these corners, that'll be important. At the safety spot, I mean, look, you can watch Isaiah Wachovia and what he did in fall camp. He had two interceptions the first day he was wearing that number 23 jersey in camp. But that safety room has six or seven guys that can play. And SMU plays three safeties. They play a free. They play a, um, a strong safety, a boundary safety, and a uh, nickel. And Brandon Crosley has held down that nickelback spot very, very well. Brian Massey has had a camp that resembles what he was doing in fall camp last year before his ankle injury. Ahmad Moses is a, is a guy who started toward the back half of SMU's uh, 2022 season. He's not going away. Jonathan McGill, one of the captains, he is going to be a difference maker. Isaiah Wachobia has thrown his name in there in a much bigger way. C.J. Sanders is another transfer that has uh, been able to, to do some good things here and there in spot duty. And then Kyron Chambers, the former TCU defensive back who transitioned from corner to safety at some point with his size and athleticism, maybe he plays this year. That secondary is completely revamped. But to make it all come together, SMU's linebackers have got to hold up their end of the bargain. This is a defensive line that can control the line of scrimmage. They can control how this team is up front and allow these linebackers to make plays. And if that's going to be the case 
where SMU is going to get these linebackers opportunities to make plays, they've got to be able to make them. That was one of the things where last year, SMU's trio of linebackers, Shannon Reed, uh, Jimmy Phillips, and Isaac Slade Matatia, were in position, but SMU struggled with tackling last year overall. And this is where this team has to be able to get guys on the ground because this defensive line has the potential to control the line of scrimmage. They have the potential to make it very difficult on opposing offenses to move them off the line of scrimmage. They've got some real size up front, but the linebackers have got to make tackles. Too many times last year, we saw an opportunity to get somebody down for no gain or maybe a loss or a short gain and poor tackling sunk the ship for SMU last year. The secondary was improved last year for the most part, but they weren't able to really bridge that gap to being a defense that could have a calling card that you could feel good about. And a lot of it had to do with tackling. That's why SMU focused on it so much this fall and dating back to the spring. They had to lay the groundwork for fundamentals, and they could do that even in their summer workouts too, focusing on the, the technique that the coaching staff wants to put them in position to have success tackling. And so it's a defense that there is a lot of buzz around it. There's a lot of buzz about their ability to really elevate into a defense that can help SMU win an AAC championship. But at the same token, it's a defense that hasn't proved itself. And if you're an SMU fan that's listening, or you're a casual college football fan that doesn't know too much about SMU, there's that talking season that comes every year, and there's positivity, and you've been going against your own teammates in fall camp, and that it happens across college football. But this defense has to show it. They have to show me that they're ready to go. And they have added the right pieces on paper. They've addressed their needs. They have depth. They have competition that is going to rage on into the season, like at the linebacker position. They have Ahmad Walker who's going to start a middle linebacker. And then they've got a bunch of guys who could play a lot next to him or even behind him a little bit. That has to be all worked out. And so for SMU, on the bright side, they aren't opening up against Oklahoma. They are opening up against Louisiana Tech. But Sonny Cumbie and that team, they do have the type of offense, especially with Hank Bachmeyer at quarterback, that you can put pressure on opposing defenses. That's something that Sonny Cumbie has been able to do throughout his career. And just being able to spend some time around him and his staff, they've addressed a lot of their needs this offseason, too. And they're trying to you know, build this program back up. And there's going to be a ton of motivation from a lot of teams this year because of SMU's situation with expansion, you know, as long as that goes the, the right way, but also NIL, money, all of those things. SMU is going to get most teams' best shots week in, week out. And Louisiana Tech opens this weekend their college football season. They're going to have a game under their belt. So there's going to be film for SMU to watch. Uh, from their game against Florida International. But Louisiana Tech's going to have that chance to work out some game one kinks too. And they're going to come into Ford and be looking to really spoil what is an SMU team that has a bunch of expectations and goals at the highest level, winning a conference championship, beating some of the Power Five op opponents on their, on their uh, schedule. But they can't be looking ahead to week two in Norman. They can't be resting on 
the fact that they brought in 25 transfers, a lot of them being power five guys, they can't rest on, well, you know, we have all these guys that are healthy now. We have all this depth. We have all these former four stars. We have even the place kicker and punter coming back. All of those things don't matter once this season starts. And I do like the mentality of SMU's team. I've talked to a lot of players over the course of this offseason and even into fall camp, of course. And the one thing that most of them keep hammering home is they're trying to take this one day at a time. When they look ahead or they let outside, outside noise in, that's when things in the past for SMU have fallen apart. And it's only year two of the Rhett Lashley era. But again, if you're a casual fan listening to this versus being a hardcore SMU fan, SMU is not broken through because they've let some outside noise in and that has sunk their ship at times, or they've shot themselves in the foot. Last year's game against Maryland, um, they didn't capitalize. They turned the ball over. Uh, they went to UCF and didn't capitalize in the red zone. Tulane, they didn't get off the bus in a massive game uh, and, and were nev never able to recover. TCU even, they made it a game, but they started off slow. The biggest thing with this team is taking it one day at a time, and that means being ready to execute as soon as the first whistle goes. And I, I'm a big believer of this, though. It's a hard thing to do in college football because it's not that you're playing against yourself and you feel like you're good enough from a um, mindset mentality. There's another team that also is getting itself pumped up, that also is game planning to beat you. And that's the wild card when it comes to how good you can be at your preparation. And for SMU, they've got a lot of veterans. They've got a lot of guys on this team, and I think this is an underrated piece, that really care about representing for SMU this fall and representing for Dallas and kicking down that door of you know, a Power 5 conference, but more importantly, getting to a conference championship game. So I, I look at SMU right now as having a few questions that need to be answered without a doubt, and we're going to find them out week one. They're not questions that you can sit back and say, oh, well, they need, you know, so-and-so to get healthy. Right now, they're, they're pretty healthy. Or, oh, well, they, they should have addressed this position in the transfer portal in the summer. They're in a pretty good spot for the most part, just about everywhere. Maybe tight end, backup tight end. You wish they'd found a guy who could really move a pile a little bit more. But hey, Nolan Matthews Harris has had a good camp and he's a big body. So there are a lot of things that SMU still needs to put together and show on the field. But leaving fall camp, I left feeling pretty good about SMU. Mainly, they were able to stay healthy for the most part. They have a couple injuries here there. Cam Irving, who's a backup offensive lineman, is recovering from an injury. Kamar Wheaton, running back, has been nicked up. Jalen Knighton, the SMU starting running back, did get a little nicked up. But SMU, I think, is going to keep him in a red jersey pretty much all season uh, from what it sounds like. We talked with him on Tuesday. And he said, look, I don't really need to be wearing this. I could play tomorrow, all those things. Uh, but that is what the staff is going to do with a guy who's as explosive as he is. Preston Stone, he gets his opportunity. This has been a long time coming. A former four-star prospect, an SMU legacy who stays home to play for SMU. 
He gets his chance. He gets the ball as a starter, the unquestioned starter, the unquestioned leader of one of the leaders of this offense and team. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on him, but he can't necessarily, you know, be a guy that takes a little bit of time to get into the group. There's going to be learning curves and things like that. And, and more so, I would say the offense is going to find its identity. SMU's offense in year one under Rhett Lashley didn't find its identity until the back half of the season when they started to really run the football and do it well. And so for SMU, they have a lot of things that they're going to have to answer when it comes to how they look game one. And they're going to have to be ready to go. Louisiana Tech is not somebody that's going to roll over. They're just not. And so they're going to have to be at their best early on and set the tone for the season. And that's on a lot of the leadership of this team. That's on the coaches to come out ready to go. Bright and early, 11 a.m. kickoff on September 2nd. SMU opens against Louisiana Tech. You can't be still back in that hotel bed, uh, kind of wiping the cobwebs off uh, and, and uh, you know, half asleep. You've got to be ready to go. So some closing thoughts on where I see this SMU football season going. Um, I, I Obviously, I, I think SMU is going to be able to take care of business against Louisiana Tech. I think it's an opportunity to make a statement. Who knows? This is a this could be a game where if this ACC expansion stuff gets wrapped up, I mean, this could be one of the most memorable games in, in kind of recent SMU history, not because of the matchup, but because of what's next. And I talked with some SMU players in the offseason about conference realignment and expansion. And hey, how do you separate listening to that or listening to conference championship talk from what you've got to do? And many of them said, you know, it's about playing for each other and playing one snap at a time, taking things one day at a time. And I know I said that earlier about one day at a time, but it's true. There's a lot of distractions around the whole conference realignment thing, whether it be following the Pac-12 situation for the last year or now the ACC thing looking like it could become reality. It's a different situation for these players if, hey, SMU's in, you're going to the ACC. What does that mean from Louisiana Tech's side? They're going to gun for you even more. And so you're going to have to be ready to take their best shot. So I think SMU is going to open with a win over Louisiana Tech. I'll get to my full predictions next week on the podcast, kind of how I see the season going. But I do feel like SMU is going to end up playing for a conference championship. You know, I, I think the schedule is pretty favorable to them overall. I think they have the team to do it. I think they have the quarterback on paper to do it. And if all those things come together, SMU is going to be sitting here in December, either gearing up to go play somewhere for the conference championship or hosting it at Ford Stadium. And if you want an early, early prediction, well, I guess not that early since the season's here, but I think it's going to be UTSA that they play. And so as this is the Republic of Football podcast, I mean, what a cool game that would be between SMU and UTSA. Jeff Trailer, former SMU assistant, obviously Rhett Lashley leading his team. That would be incredible for the state of Texas. So as a Republic of Football podcast, uh, here's to that happening. And, and look, when we were at the Texas Coaches Convention uh, earlier this summer, you know, as a beat writer, 
you want your team to go to the highest level. And I saw Jeff Trailer, and I said, hey, here's to uh, maybe covering a game between you and SMU in December because the Roadrunners and the Mustangs don't meet in the regular season. What a game that would be. I know it would mean a lot, obviously, to both sides, a lot of bragging rights, recruiting, and it would kind of come full circle. And if SMU gets in the ACC, it's going to be one of those games where you have a program in UTSA that under Jeff Trailers really built themselves on being this tough-minded football program. And you have SMU, which has been kicking to it has been knocking on the door. It has been trying to break through. And if they're in a conference championship game, okay, they've kicked one door down. Now they've got one more door to go. But they're the NIL school. They're the facilities. They're the money. They're going to the ACC. What a clash of kind of different, not mindsets, because both sides want to be tough and all of those things. But they're two programs that are just built a little different. And so I think it would be the ultimate win-win for, obviously, Dave Campbell's Republic of Football, the State of Dallas podcast, and uh, those of us that cover SMU and UTSA. But I'm going to make an early bold prediction that SMU and UTSA are going to face each other in the AAC championship game come December. So, look, guys, uh, next week we'll be talking about Louisiana Tech and previewing them a little bit. We'll also be talking about the full season predictions for SMU, how I see game by game things panning out for the Mustangs. So appreciate you guys who listen to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, the Dave Campbell's YouTube channel, and follow the podcast and subscribe to it wherever you catch your podcast at. So appreciate you guys listening. We will be back next week with another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. Have a good one, everyone, and we'll catch you next time.